We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Your local stores. Well, it's not actually beer. It's mountain spring water from the Alps, and it's called liquid death. Why is this water called liquid death? Well, because it will brutally murder your thirst, and their infinitely recyclable tall boy cans are helping to bring death to plastic bottles. They'll also donate 10% of the profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. See, what you may not know is that most plastic isn't actually recyclable anymore, and the plastic you throw in a recycling bin actually just gets sent to a landfill because it's not profitable to recycle. Aluminum is infinitely recyclable and actually profitable for recycling facilities. So go get Liquid Death at your local Woodman's, 7-Eleven, Roundies, or Hy-Vee, or find a Liquid Death retailer near you with our store locator tool at liquiddeath.com slash packaday, P-A-C-K-A-D-A-Y. That's liquiddeath.com slash packaday. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day podcast. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Pack a Day podcast. I'm your host, Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. 
Thanks so much for joining me today. It is Tuesday, so you know what that means. We will be doing our full film review. Had the opportunity, actually stayed up until 3.30 a.m. on Monday morning uh, because I actually got the All-22 film on the same day, which has never happened before. So uh, I am a degenerate. I will gladly admit that, but wanted to get through the offensive tape before I went to bed because I was very intrigued just to see what exactly happened. So I had the opportunity to do that. And then on Monday night, had the opportunity to go through the defensive side of things. So we are all caught up. We got to go through all of the grades. I will go through today my highest graded players, my lowest graded players, my key takeaways from the film review, and then some news and notes as well. But I think we should start with a very clear uh, definition of just how poorly this game went for the Packers offense. I've now been grading the Packers for six years. This is my sixth year doing it. I started with the Brett Hundley season where Rodgers goes down. Hundley plays a big chunk of that year, right? And this, this game against the Jets was the lowest grade I ever gave the offense in my entire now sixth year of doing this or any previous year. So that should tell you just how beyond brutal of a performance that this was from the offense. And this starts very clearly with the offensive line. If you had not had the opportunity to go check out the video that I posted on Twitter of the Packers offensive line just getting absolutely annihilated, it is a wonderfully put together two minute and 20 second ish clip of the Packers offensive line just getting beat over and over and over and over and over and over in one of the worst performances I have ever seen. And I saw, I graded some Alex Light, some Byron Bell, some Kyle Murphy, some, you can name a bunch of other really crappy offensive linemen. And this was the worst of it all, even though they had David Bakhtiari, who actually had a nice game, by the way, Elton Jenkins, Josh uh, Myers, John Runyon Jr., like it, all of it, right? And of course, Royce Newman, even uh, Jake Hansen, like it was just almost all bad besides Bakhtiari. The offensive grade for this game was a negative 10.15. Again, the lowest that I've ever given the offense in now my six years of doing this. The offensive line of that negative 10.15 grade was negative 8.85 with massive low grades for Jenkins, Myers, John Runyon Jr., and Royce Newman. It is simply losing football just for this offensive line in and of itself. If the defense had played amazing, if the special teams would have screwed some things up, if Rodgers could have played a little bit better, had the receivers separated a little, a little bit better, maybe, maybe you could maybe get away with a win against the Jets at home if everything else was almost flawless. This offensive line performance was so bad that it was, you know, lose a game worthy in and of itself. And that goes to Matt LaFleur, that goes to Stenovich, that goes to Butkus, that goes to the players that are in that offensive line room. Completely and utterly unacceptable. The Jets front four, there was no, there was very little pressure or blitzing from the Jets. It was a four-man rush over and over and over. Twists and stunts that Green Bay looked like they had never faced before. And it was, like I said, as bad as I have ever seen. The communication, the execution, the fundamentals, the attention to detail just holding up at the point of attack and actually anchoring against the defensive lineman. The defensive line for the Jets, give them credit. They played great, but this offensive line was brutal for four quarters and never could get anything together. And it's completely unacceptable. 
So let's start there. The blocking in this game, atrocious. And like I said, I don't really care how great uh, almost anyone else on offense would have played. That was a losing performance for the offense simply because of the offensive line. But that brings us to Aaron Rodgers because, of course, there's always going to be a ton of discourse, rightfully so, about the highest paid you know, quarterback in football, a player that is always a hot button topic, uh, you know, certainly for the last handful of seasons and uh, a player that whether it's good, bad, ugly, amazing, brutal, anything in between, there's always going to be discourse about Aaron Rodgers. And in these type of games, of course, it, it, it gets raised to the highest of, of volumes when it comes to Aaron Rodgers conversation. So the question is, is, was Aaron Rodgers largely to blame for the Packers loss and how the Packers have started the season. I'm going to focus on this game in particular. And I was critical of of Rodgers in this game after not only watching it live, but after the initial rewatch as well. I do think the All-22 was much more kind to Rodgers than watching the game on TV or the TV tape, etc. So let's start with the grade. I had him at a exact neutral grade for the day. PFF had the ever so slightest negative grade, basically a neutral grade for Rodgers as well. And I do not think that overall, this was a losing individual performance for Aaron Rodgers. The, as mentioned, brutal play of the offensive line, along with the receivers not consistently gaining separation, not a lot going on after the catch, the inability to run the football, I just didn't think Rodgers had much opportunity to do anything, even if he was, you know, prime Aaron Rodgers, you know, MVP Aaron Rodgers. I don't think it would have mattered, to be quite frank. I just don't think there was much he could have done with what he was given in this game. And again, the Jets played some really good defense as well. So that that's where I'm at. And now were there throws that he could have made, the, the throw down the field to Aaron Jones? Yes. Was there a massively underthrown ball to Romeo Dobbs? Yes. Were there other throws and opportunities that he could have made different reads, maybe checked out of things? Yes, 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 yes. There were uh, there were things that Rodgers could have very clearly done better in this game that certainly would have helped. But he also made some plays that actually got Green Bay going when they didn't really have any right to get going. I thought the 35-yard completion to Alan Lazard down the sideline, there is about a football-sized window to fit that ball into not even the Josh, Josh Allens or Patrick Mahomes are even like attempting that throw, much less complete. Like that is a, like, I don't know, three, 4% chance of completion percentage on that play. And he just fits it in perfect. And Lazard pays it off 35 yard reception. And, you know, they, they had an opportunity for a field goal because of that. And that's all like basically due to a, just a beyond gorgeous ball from, from Rogers, the touchdown to Lazard. I thought that was another great example of a, just a beautiful ball from Aaron Rodgers. So while there were some negative ones, there was also some really, you know, a couple of real positive ones that kind of evened those out a little bit. You also have to realize of like you know, what the play to Tunyon where he avoided a sack, rolled to the sideline and then threw a bullet down the sideline. That's another just gorgeous play by Rodgers. And the, the other thing I was going to mention is it's worth noting here just how hard everything was in this game for the offense as a whole. There's a six-yard completion to A.J. Dillon in this game, six, seven-yard completion. And on that specific play, Rodgers has immediate pressure. He gets out of it, rolls to his left, throws all the way across his body, 
to AJ Dillon, who is coming one way, has to reverse fields, dive the other way. AJ Dillon make a diving reception off of a, a crossbody throw that Rodgers had to buy time on. All of that for a six or seven yard completion down at the point of contact. Like that's how hard every yard was in this game. And again, there's Aaron Rodgers contributed to that and was a piece of that as well. There's no question about it, but it just goes to show you, you know, even when Rodgers is escaping the pocket and throwing across his body and trying to do something spectacular, it's, it ends up being like a six or seven yard gain. There's just not any rhythm or again, like vision or anything for this offense right now. So now that being said, while I had a neutral grade on Aaron Rodgers and did not have this marked as a losing performance for Aaron Rodgers based on all the things that were kind of crumbling around him, there is an expectation when you are the highest paid quarterback in football that not only are you, you know, the goal is not to just not have a losing performance. The goal isn't even to be good. The goal is not even to be really good. The, the bar is not even great. I would argue that when you are the highest paid quarterback in football, not only is the bar great for yourself, the bar is great for yourself and elevating the play of others around you. Whether that's previously when he used to have the mobility to keep plays alive and you know basically will his team to victory at times, whether that was um, you know him throwing receivers open, whether that's him checking out a plays to get them into better plays that they can go and execute that you know the defense just can't keep up because Rodgers is able to do so much at the line of scrimmage. Whether it's his ability to, that is completely gone now somehow uh, to get you know people to jump off sides with his cadence and get free plays and explosives down the field that way. Those were the things that you're paying Aaron Rodgers to do. So while I had this as a neutral grade, and while I didn't have this as a losing performance, the bar for Rodgers is as high as it can possibly be. And he is well, well short of reaching that bar. And I will say it one more time. I get and understand that what is crumbling around him is playing a factor in that. There's no two ways around that. But I'm talking about just the plays that Rodgers has the ability to make and just some of the things that I think he can do to elevate the plays of those around him. And right now, he is coming far short of the bar that he really has set for himself, even going back to the last two MVP seasons that he had in back-to-back years. So is this a awful grade, bad grade, negative grade for Aaron Rodgers? No, I didn't think it was because of all the crap around him. But I do expect him to be the best, well, at least one of the best. And it, it's probably semi-unrealistic because I don't think he's going to be in that Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen conversation right now. Um, I just think those two are playing an extremely special brand of football. And for Rodgers to play at that level at, at this age with the loss of mobility and not having the weapons around him, that's a tough ask. But I expect him to be great. And he has not been great through six games this season, nor in this game. So that's where I come out on Aaron Rodgers. Bad performance, awful performance, no. Up to the expectations that Green Bay needs him to be, not even close. I'm not sure about you guys, but it still catches me off guard when I walk down the water aisle at the grocery store and see these new tall boys that look like beer chilling out in the middle of the bottled water section. Of course, it's not actually beer. It's liquid death, a new mountain spring water from the Alps that's available in still, sparkling, and three unique flavors. But why is it called liquid death, you may ask? 
Well, it's because Liquid Death donates 10% of their profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. Even better is that the use of their aluminum Tallboy cans is also helpful as aluminum is infinitely recyclable and actually profitable for recycling facilities. Friends, bottled water has always been boring to me, but there's absolutely nothing boring about Liquid Death. I love the crisp, refreshing pop of the can when I open it, and the water simply tastes better in a can than it does out of a bottle. Add in their three unique flavors. Personally, I love the lime, and the overall experience is infinitely better than any other water product. Plus, it just looks so much cooler holding a tall boy labeled Liquid Death that looks like you're holding a crisp, refreshing beer. So do me a favor and go get Liquid Death at your local Woodman's, 7-Eleven, Roundies, or Hy-Vee. Or you can find a Liquid Death retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com slash packaday. That's liquiddeath.com slash packaday. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The other thing I want to go over here is I think there's some idea that you know you can just fix, and I'm talking specifically about the offense here. You can just fix the scheme, or the players need to just play better, or you know you just need to move a, a tackle into guard, or a guard out to tackle, or all these different ideas. Although some of that is all true. Of course, if the players play better, yeah, that's going to go a long way in improving things offensively. If the Dillons and the uh, Aaron Rodgers and the Bakhtiaris and the Jenkinses and the John Runyon Juniors and the Tunyons and all those guys start playing better football, then yeah, I promise you it's going to look a little bit different, right? And the offense is probably going to click at a, to a greater extent. And I do think there's things that they can do to make the offensive line better from a personnel standpoint. I do think that there's ways that you know you can probably run some things that maybe like Aaron Rodgers said are a little bit simpler or just maybe things that the, the entire team is confident in. I think there's probably some level of truth to all of that. But I want to put you in the shoes of a defensive coordinator for a second. So if you are a defensive coach, I don't care if it's in soccer, in baseball, in football, in basketball, it doesn't really matter what sport it is. But if you're coaching defense, you're constantly evaluating the threats across from you. All right, what is the biggest threat for the other team to put points on the board or score or whatever it may be, depending on the sport? We'll clearly talk about football here. So what are your biggest threats? 
when you're facing the Green Bay Packers? What is it that you want to shut down as the defensive coordinator and make sure that that is not how they are beating you? I think you could probably point to two things in some capacity, right? Clearly shutting down Aaron Jones and making sure that he doesn't get going and that you're you know kind of holding the running game in check because if Aaron Jones gets going, then they can open up the play action. And there's a lot of things that can start going a little bit poorly if Jones and this running game get going, right? So I think controlling the running game, specifically Aaron Jones, is probably one A on that list right now. I would say the other thing is you don't want to let Aaron uh, Aaron Rodgers get into a rhythm. And while he doesn't have that same mobility, I still don't think you want him escaping outside the pocket and buying more time and having the vision downfield to make some of those explosive plays. I think those are the two things that you are cognizant of and making sure that you want to shut down. So as a defensive coordinator, what do you want to do to make sure that those things do not happen? Well, the first thing is we, we want to shut down the run and we want to make sure that Aaron Jones doesn't get going, right? Okay, so can we play an extra man in the box? The answer is yes, we can play an extra man in the box. We can play eight in the, eight in the box. We can play our, our corners outside, probably some press man, and we can play a single high safety. We, I, we're confident that we can do that. That will take away Aaron Jones uh, to a great extent, and that will take away you know Green Bay's ability to run the ball consistently. We don't think the Packers can run the ball against an eight-man box over and over and over. We don't think they're going to have the patience to do it, and we don't think that they will have enough success in doing it that we will have to get out of that look. So I think that's the first thing. And as far as Aaron Rodgers escaping out of the pocket, A, the mobility just hasn't been there, and B, the, the question then becomes, all right, well, in obvious passing situations, can we get home with four players? Can we do some twists, some stunts, and some things that will get there just with our four-man rush? And the answer very clearly right now is also yes. So if you're telling me that I can play a single high safety, I can stop the run, put eight in the box, play a robber in the middle of the field, and win with four guys up front and while also making sure that Rodgers doesn't escape the pocket, I'm feeling pretty golden. So then the question becomes, all right, if we're going to do that, if I'm going to play a single high safety, I'm going to play safety in the box, probably have him be a little bit more of a robber. I'm going to keep my linebackers in and I'm going to make sure that my defensive linemen are in a position to stop the run and then we'll get after the quarterback, etc. Where is my weakness? My weakness is to the outside, especially if I'm playing press man to man. And let's just assume as a defensive coordinator, I got some pretty solid corners. I got, you know, if you're the Jets, you got a sauce gardener that you can match up against you, whoever you think is the biggest threat on the outside. Uh, but I've got some good corners. And then the question becomes, all right, am I worried about a tight end up the seam? The answer is no. Am I worried about Alan Lazard or Romeo Dobbs or Sammy Watkins or Randall Cobb or Samari Toure or Amari Rogers or any, Christian Watson? down the field on deep shots. And maybe if there's a Christian Watson, like I want to be a little bit more cognizant even because I know his speed, but overall not afraid yet. And the other the other group, the answer is no. Now, th- there's a there's a realistic answer here too. The realistic answer is I'm not afraid, but I also probably recognize that Rodgers and these receivers one-on-one on the outside are going to beat me a few times in this game. 
For example, you had the 35-yard completion to Alan Lazard. You've had the back shoulder to Alan Lazard for the touchdown. You had an opportunity to hit Aaron Jones on a deep ball on a nine route that probably could have gone for a touchdown. On the other side of the field, Romeo Dobbs beats his corner completely clean on that specific play. I, as a defensive coordinator, I'm aware that I'm going to get beat on a couple different occasions on the outside. But when I'm analyzing the threats as a defensive coordinator for what could potentially beat me, I'm playing the percentages and saying, yeah, you're going to complete, you know, maybe a, a deep ball or two to, to Lazard, you know, or maybe you're going to get a, a shot to, to Romeo Dobbs. You might even get a, you know, 60 yard touchdown out of it. I don't think you can complete a high enough percentage on those plays that you can actually put up enough points to beat me in the game. And Green Bay hasn't. And Romeo Dobbs has not hit those explosives. Christian Watson had the opportunity and he dropped his. Alan Lazard will come up with one every once in a while. Cobb's not getting the explosives. Sammy Watkins, I think, had the one, but that was on a play action um, when they were actually running the football on that, you know, on that specific day. So, like, yeah, you can hit a couple, you know, here and there, but not to the level that you're causing any concerns for defensive coordinators. So the answer becomes. I'm going to play press man to the outside. You're going to hit a couple deep shots, but I'm not worried about it because you can't hit enough of them percentage-wise to actually make me afraid. Even if you hit one, I've got a still a safety deep that's going to play deeper than the deep. And if you hit one, I'm still going to at least limit you to like a 30, 35-yard play instead of hopefully a 70, 80-yard play for a touchdown. And then I can stop you in the red zone. And you're not going to be able to run because I've got eight guys in the box. And I also know that you're very quick to abandon Aaron Jones in the running game. I also know that you're very quick to just abandon the running game in general. You don't stick with it. You want to get that passing game going. So and especially when you see single, you know, single high to press man corners on the outside, you're going to get trigger happy. You're going to want to hit those shot plays, but you can't. So I'm not worried about that. And when you do pass, I'm very you know, confident that my four-man defensive front can beat your five-man offensive line with very relative consistency. So there is nothing as a defensive coordinator that I'm concerned of. And here's the big kicker, because once my team gets ahead in the game and you completely abandon the run because you're now down in the second half and you need to throw your way back into things, now I can even creep that safety back. And now I'm going to even make it harder for you to pass. And you might go play action, but I don't even care anymore because A, you're not running with any consistency and B, like, yeah, well, you know, you're probably not going to break anything big because I still have, you know, my safeties deep and they can come in and make the play. And I don't think you're going to stick with the run. So I'm going to play two safeties deep now, which is going to make it even harder for you. Now you can't hit the shots on the outside. You don't work the middle of the field. Go look at the spray chart. From, from Packers Jets, they did not attempt throws in the middle of the field, even though Matt LaFleur said in his presser, they noticed in the scouting report that the weakness for the Jets defense was the middle of the field, yet Rodgers would not attack that area of the field. So as a defensive coordinator, I am beyond golden all the way around. And if you just think this is a simple answer of moving an offensive lineman or I don't even know what, you know, having Aaron Jones touch the ball more. It's not. There are no good answers for the Packers right now. The the defense doesn't even, isn't even asking difficult questions. Matt LaFleur said in his press conference, the Jets showed him more, you know, showed the Packers more press man than they've used in the past. Yeah, no kidding, because you can't beat it. 
you can't beat single high press man with, uh, you know, eight in the box and stopping the run. You have no baked in solution for that because the solution is to hit your wide receivers deep on the outside and you can't hit enough of them to scare a defensive coordinator right now or scare a defense, scare a corner, scare anyone. I There's no easy answer for this Packers offense. And yeah, maybe they could go acquire a wide receiver and that could maybe help some things. doesn't help if you can't block up front. And Green Bay's running out of resources to acquire players. It just is what it is. Like they they're running out of like literal financial funds from a salary cap standpoint to add anything new. And even if you do, is it worth it? Because is this a championship caliber team if you add one or two more players to it? I'm not sure that it is. I'm not saying they can't. I'm not saying even if they keep the team as is that they can't win it, but like it's not looking great at the moment. So I don't know. I'm very intrigued to see where the Packers go from here and what what Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur do from here. I do think that there are some things at their disposal that can certainly help. And I think they are, you know, will be creative in trying to make some changes, but I don't I don't see an easy answer. I do think they have to become a run first team, a run second team, probably a run third team, and to try to get teams to play them a little bit differently and just say like, hey, we're going to have to be creative in the run game to get Aaron Jones those touches, and he's going to have to probably do some of the heavy lifting along with A.J. Dillon. We're going to see some stack boxes, but at the same time, when your offensive line is allowing five yards of penetration into the backfield from guys like Leonard Williams, you can hand the ball to Aaron Jones all you want. You're just going to keep going backwards, and that's a problem too. So like I said, the big takeaway here, there is no easy solution for this Packers offense right now. All right, let's go to my top and bottom graded players from this game before we get out of here. Uh, top graded offensive players, Robert Tunyon, plus 0.5, David Bakhtiari, plus 0.45, and Mercedes Lewis, plus 0.3. So those are the three highest graded players. These are not, uh, this is going to seem a little crazy, but these are the, the legit numbers. My three lowest graded players, Elton Jenkins, negative 3.3. John Runyon Jr., negative 2.2. Royce Newman, negative 2.05. Just a, I, like I said before, there's there's not adjectives used in the English language to describe uh, just how awful this Packers offensive line played this week. Some honorable mention negatives. A.J. Dillon, negative 1.65. Really tough start, uh, at least last few games for, for A.J. Dillon. And Josh Myers, negative 1.5 grade as well. Just some really, really brutal grades for the offense. The one bright spot from an offensive standpoint, well, David Bakhtiari was definitely a bright spot, plus 0.45, but the tight end group, all four tight ends graded in the positive, blocked pretty well. Robert Tunyon had a big day receiving, plus 1.25 overall for the four tight ends, uh, Davis, Lewis, DeGuara, and Tunyon. So tip your cap to the tight end group. They, of all units on the offense were the one that actually kind of did their job and did everything they could to try to get the Packers a win. So nice job to the tight end group. All right, defense, couple quick notes here. I thought the defense looked much more comfortable overall, playing more press man-to-man coverage and attacking the wide receivers. I thought there were obviously the big play to, you know, down the field uh, to Corey Davis with Eric Stokes in coverage was a really bad play um, and, and one that, you know, when you're playing some press man, that's going to happen from time to time. Stokes has got to be better in that situation. But overall, I thought you could see a much bigger level of comfort for this defense. And some of the miscommunications and errors came once again when they were actually playing zone defense. So this is something that I think they can take away as a positive, but as comfortable as they looked in man coverage and playing more physical and aggressive in man coverage, they looked awful as a complete team 
especially in the secondary, in rallying to the football, tackling, and and actually playing the run. And you go back to Robert Sala's comments in his, his post-game press conference where he said, if we just keep leaning on the Packers, they're going to basically they're going to quit. They did. The, you know, I know that they had the goal line stand at the end, kudos to whatever. It didn't matter at that point. And Green Bay just, you know, they, they couldn't tackle enough. They didn't rally to the football. And these corners, man, Eric Stokes was brutal in run defense. Jair had a tough day in run defense. Amos didn't have a great day in run defense. It just, it's not a great group of, you know, tackling defensive backs. Campbell and Quay both struggled in this game as well. So I, I think this is a very soft run defense. And I think there's some things that they are improving on from a pass defense standpoint, but it's nowhere near close to good enough as a whole, especially when it comes to run defense. Highest graded defensive players, Kingsley Nigbari plus 0.3, Kenny Clark plus 0.25, Rashawn Gary plus 0.2. Lowest graded defensive players, Quay Walker negative 0.65, Eric Stokes negative 0.6, and TJ Slayton negative 0.5. As far as news and notes, Packers did sign a new offensive lineman, or I guess claim a new offensive lineman off waivers from the Colts, Luke Tenuta. Uh, so he is a new, I think he's like six foot nine, played some offensive tackle. So Green Bay probably looking for a bit more depth with Jake Hansen banged up. Could see Hansen go on IR. So that is the news of the day. And then anyone hoping for Robbie Anderson, he was officially traded to the Cardinals. So he will not become a member of the Green Bay Packers. That is going to do it for me today. Thank you so much for joining me. Make sure to check out my full grades over on Packer uh, Packer Report. They will be up by Tuesday afternoon. Um, I will be right back here tomorrow on the video version over on YouTube. So make sure to check that out. As far as the audio, Dusty, Steve, and Sarah will be back tomorrow for those checking out the audio version wherever you get your favorite podcast. Thanks so much for joining me. I'll see you tomorrow. But until next time, and as always, go Pack Go.